This is the Historian's Podcast. I'm Bob Cudmore. It's a pleasure to welcome Christopher Kelly back to the program. How you doing, Chris? Uh, great to be with you, Bob. Christopher Kelly has appeared uh, before to talk about uh, other books that he has written, America Invades and Italy Invades. This time he joins us to discuss a book of which he is the editor. He's editor of An Adventure in 2014, the true story of an American family's journey on the brink of World War I. The author is T. Tileston Wells. Uh, the book is published by History Invasions Press. Who was T. Tileston Wells? Uh, Thomas Tileston Wells was my maternal great-grandfather. He was a lawyer who was born in New York City in 1865, and he lived in New York uh, really pretty much all of his life. And he is the uh, is the author of the memoir uh, of an adventure in 1914. Mm. A very interesting uh, man. Uh, just reading in uh, in this book, uh, as you indicate, or maybe you didn't really indicate, but he sounds like he comes from a, a well-off family. He's kind of a mover and a shaker. He uh, loved going to Europe, as I understand it, and was uh, especially fond of France. He, he was uh, very fond of travel. He loved Europe. He would go back and forth on the transatlantic liners uh, back to Europe almost every summer. And he preferred to, I mean, as a married man with a family, he preferred to take his family with him uh, rather than traveling on his own. And so, yes, he was a very kind of cosmopolitan guy, and I, and I think, uh, you know, somewhat privileged position. He was kind of from an old New York family, uh, and he and he had been educated uh, to some extent in Switzerland as well as in the United States. He attended Columbia uh, University and Columbia Law, but he uh, did, he definitely loved Germany. He was very fond of France, as you say. Yeah, and what I found uh, very helpful in the, in the book that you've uh, written about or edited about this and added um, uh, kind of the backstory of a whole bunch of different uh, offshoots of things that are happening in this momentous year of uh, 1914. Right. Yes. What I what I tried to do is to present his text uh, on the right-hand side of the page and then my commentary on the left-hand side of the page so that uh, readers can say, can immediately realize that okay, this is because you, when you've got it is kind of like a one reviewer called it a duet. I mean, because you've got two voices that are speaking. I mean, Wells's voice, of course, from a hundred years ago, and then my own, uh, trying to provide historical commentary and introduction and epilogue and all and other materials as well to enhance uh, what he, what he had to say. Now it turns out that 1914 was a, a momentous year. And uh, did he consider not going because there was wasn't there speculation that there was unrest in uh, Europe at this time? Well, I think that he. I mean, he actually left before. I mean, the assassination of the Archduke Franz Ferdinand took place on June twenty eighth, nineteen fourteen, and Wells and his family were actually on board the ship. They left from the from I believe New York to Europe prior to that time, and I think prior to that time. I don't think that there was really much of any suspicion that anything extraordinary was going to happen that summer. I think that they they were thought they were in for 
a you know a pleasure cruise and a interesting uh, hike in the Alps and Tyrol and that it would be scenic and nice and and uh, they would have a nice vacation. That's that's what they had planned for, but what they got was something entirely different, of course. Well, as you mentioned, the assassination of Archduke uh, Franz Ferdinand takes place as they're on their way uh, uh, to Europe, and you give a lot of the. Again, I use the phrase or word backstory about the events leading up to World War I. Uh, that assassination in and of itself, this man was the heir to the Austro-Hungarian Empire's uh, throne, um, was uh, undertaken or committed by a man from Serbia. Uh, and so there are all these um, rival alliances in Europe, uh, ethnic tensions, um, and, and so forth uh, going on. Wells seemed to know uh, quite a bit about that, didn't he? Right. Yes, uh, he he did. I mean, he was a lawyer, but he was also very well connected. I mean, he carried with him a, a letter from William Jennings Bryan, who was the the uh, the, the head of the, the Secretary of State at the time of, for the United States. So, and he also later became a diplomat. He actually served as the Romanian consul to the United States from a period from around 1918 all the way up to 1941, you know, long after uh, the events of 1914. So, so he, he was, I guess, an ambassador in training and, and, uh, that, it kind of shows, I think, in, in the, what he has to say and mm-hmm. some of his commentary about what's happening and what he thinks is about to happen, too. Mm-hmm. Well, let's uh, talk about some of the stops along the way. Uh, was it uh, first to France that he uh, that he traveled? Right. He. I mean, the the journal starts from Paris. I mean, he, they they leave from Paris, so it's not totally clear how. I mean, exactly how he gets from. New York to Paris, but I mean, obviously it's by ship, and I'm just not sure whether he comes from Liverpool or whatever. But but he leaves the the, the adventure really kind of begins in Paris, and then heads east towards Switzerland and uh, and into the Austrian Tyrol and then northern Italy eventually. Mm. And uh, along the way, he um, con- contends or he states in the uh, diary that he met the Serbian prime minister, Nikola Pasic. And you're not really that's, sure that's if he right. did. It, Go ahead. Yes. Nikola Pasic was, was one of the principal architects of the July crisis that led to World War One. He was the Serbian prime minister, the elected Serbian prime minister. And at the time that Wells claims to have met him uh, would have been around the second week or so of July, which in other words would have been after the assassination, but prior to the Austrian declaration of war that would come uh, at the uh, at the uh, end or at the end of that month, so at the end of July. So it was in this kind of critical time uh, between that he that uh, Wells claims to have basically had you know lunch or dinner on the same train with him and rolling through Switzerland. Um, and 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 the the question is, you know, did this really happen or not? I'm not I'm not 100 percent sure whether it happened or not. We know that that uh, Wells claimed that it happened. If it did, it kind of changes the picture to some extent of what uh, what was going on because most sources will will not tell you that 
that possibly that the Serbian prime minister was in Switzerland, which would have been a very at that time, which would have been a very kind of daring thing for him to do to have left his home country and you know even possibly risked arrest crossing Austrian territory at the time too. Mm. Now Serbia will figure in Wells's uh, subsequent life. Uh, ultimately, he. Um, uh, gets involved in when he gets back to America, raising funds for for the Serbians who are, you know, been devastated by the war. That's right. That's right. So yes, I mean, Pasic was this kind of mystery figure in this at the start of World War One, and even historians to this day are unsure as to. You know the question is like a little bit like Watergate. I mean, you know, what did he know, and what did he and and uh, when did he know it? I mean, there was a conspiracy against uh, Franz Ferdinand and the Austrians, and there, there was the Black Hand. There was a group, and there were actually six assassins in Sarajevo at the time when uh, Ferdinand was assassinated. And the question is, did Pasic know about it beforehand or not? Uh, and and that is a question which is is not you know is, there's there are different answers you can find out there as to whether he did or didn't, but uh, but uh, clearly my uh, my great grandfather Wells was uh, was affected by the what happened on his adventure, and he became greatly sympathetic to the suffering of the Serbian people in World War One, and he actually became chairman of something called Serbian Relief, which was designed to bring humanitarian relief, food and agricultural tools to help to feed and provide medicine for uh, Serbian refugees who had been, uh, Serbia had been over, eventually overrun by Austria-Hungary uh, at the beginning of the war. Well, back to the uh, journey that Wells and his family are making through Europe, uh, France, Switzerland, into Austria, ultimately into Italy. When they're in Austria, his son uh, does some what seems like kind of dangerous rock climbing. I thought that was sort of an interesting incident. Yes. Yeah, he he must have been a, a climber. Uh, it's interesting. I mean, the Wells is is such a kind of you know I want to say a typical New Yorker. I mean, the way he describes one Swiss uh, mountain peak as being three times taller th- than the Flatiron Building, <laughs> which is you know something that only I think a New Yorker would uh, put it in terms of. But at that time when he wrote that, he was living about three or four blocks from the Flatiron Building, so it was you know what came to his mind uh, to describe. Uh, to describe the Swiss scenery. And I believe maybe we're now into August, and he, he gets to a place called Cortina, which I believe was at the time in southern Austria, but is that now part of Italy? That's right. It was Austrian territory at the time, but now today is, is part of Italy, and actually that changed in the, as a result of World War I, but the in, Treaty of Versailles. In Cortina, I mean, the effect of the, of the war is becoming apparent, uh, he said there were soldiers marching, um, and, and in the near, and also in Trent, which he also uh, visited, an important place in church history, where the council that started the Catholic uh, Counter Reformation right. uh, took place. There, there right. were women praying in churches as men were uh, going off to war. That's right. It's, he describes some very kind of moving scenes where where men are, who are about to be conscripted into the Austrian army are about to go off, and they're saying goodbye to their wives, their mothers, their sweethearts, and at, right at the, the near the cathedral in Trent uh, and in different places. And clearly there's this mobilization he, that's going on that he's a witness to, and he sees really the dawn of, of uh, the beginning of the, the first 
you know, in in First World War, the 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 first great industrial war of, of all time. Mm. And um, you have a, another one of your sidebars, you know, explaining Italy's eventual role in the war, which you know I was pr- pretty ignorant of in a way. Uh, I mean, they, they really, I mean, they lost six hundred thousand men in in the war. Right. That's right. I mean, it, uh, the First World War was really a catastrophe for for Italy. Over you know six hundred thousand Italians were killed in the war. About six times more than than all the Americans that ended up dying in the war, and more than uh, all the Americans that died in in both uh, World War One and World War Two. For if you want to put it, think of it in that term, those terms too. But and to some extent, the the Italy was World War One was for Italy. A civil war in the sense that there were in in the Austrian Tyrol about forty percent of the of the Austrian citizens were actually Italian speakers. So they faced not only the 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 fear of going off to war and all the danger that that implied, but also the possibility that they might have to be fighting against their own cousins, uh, which uh, Italian cousins to the south, uh, and that is in fact what ended up happening in 1915 when Italy did join the war on the Allies. Side. We're talking with Christopher Kelly, editor of An Adventure in 2014, the true story of an American family's journey on the brink of World War I, a memoir uh, written by Kelly's maternal great-grandfather, Thomas Tileston Wells. We'll be back in just a moment on the Historian's Podcast. This is Bob Cudmore, and I hope you'll consider helping us out with our GoFundMe campaign, which helps support the podcast and uh, providing uh, coverage of our production expenses. You can uh, make your donation easily online. The website is GoFundMe.com forward slash Historians 2016. That's GoFundMe.com forward slash Historians 2016. If you'd rather make a donation by mail, make a check out to me, Bob Cutmore, and send it to 125 Horseman Drive, Scotia, New York, 12302. That's 125 Horseman Drive, Scotia, New York, 12302. And now back to our interview with Chris Kelly on the Historian's Podcast, The True Story of an American Family's Journey on the Brink of World War I, Thomas Tileston Wells and his family uh, traveling uh, through Europe in the summer of 1914. What I thought was a, you know, a couple of the more most compelling incidents on the on the trip is they're still in what is then Austria, but I believe now is part of Italy on Lake Garda at a place called Riva, and they stay yes. in a hotel that has practically no guests because of the war. That's right. That's right. I mean, the story really kind of comes to a head at Riva and Lake Garda, uh, which and, uh, Lake Garda is a is the largest lake in Italy. It's a canyon lake with these steep mountains descending down to this lake. It's very picturesque. It's a beautiful setting, and uh, Wells talks about it being what he considered one of the most beautiful places that he'd seen in the world, which made me particularly curious to go see it for myself, which I had an opportunity to do in, in 2015, actually, uh, it, you know, 100 years after after the fact. Uh, and it's really at Riva that, that the story kind of comes to a head. I mean, he's at this hotel and almost everybody has checked out, but they're locked and the employees are there, but they're all about to be dismissed. And he's told that he can't stay any longer. And the following day, as he's, he's about to leave and take the boat, which will take him down from 
the Austrian part of the lake down to the, across uh, a, a boundary line to the Italian section, he's actually arrested by Austrian authorities and accused of being a Russian spy and threatened with immediate execution uh, that that evening. And you know, he of course, uh, readers will have to to get the book to find out how he manages to talk himself out of it, so to speak. Okay, uh, but that that does seem kind of uh, I don't know far fetched, but I mean, I guess tensions were high. Yes, and I and I went back and I and at the time the the, the Austrian interrogator, the government official, tells him that the two others have been already been captured and that we'll all be executed together. And I checked in to find in Riva, I mean, which is not a huge town, to see if if in fact any other people had been arrested or executions made at that time, and I couldn't find any evidence of that. So I think what was going on is that they were simply bluffing. They were trying to mm-hmm. get him to spill the beans, and and what uh, what Wells did not realize when he was at Riva is that, yes, Riva was, is this beautiful tourist destination, this gorgeous lake uh, with the mountains around and all of that, but in addition to that, it was also a major Austrian fortification that in inside of the caves, built into the caves or around Riva, were these Austrian defenses. Because they were very alarmed and worried that the Italians, that they would be fighting against the Italians and that they, that, uh, they felt they needed to hold on to this bit of territory with every, and, and that was something that Will, Wells did not, you know, couldn't have known at the time, of course. And I don't want to spoil the, your, uh, the, the details of how he gets out of this scrape, but one thing I was interested in is, once again, his son. I'm curious if you know how old the son was, because he sounds like... Yeah, he, he was a teenager. He was, uh, I think, around 17, 18 years old. My, my grandmother was 11 uh, at the time, and it was her older brother. And so I think he was, you know, kind of a strapping, you know, teenager. Uh, and he was obviously an active young man hiking around. And, and I mean, his dad, Wells, Wells, Wells was 49 at the time uh, when he, of, of the adventure in 1914. Mm. Because he asked his son to go onto the boat where his family already is, but not to tell them anything about uh, what's what's going on. In <laughs> right. Well, he was being interrogated. He, he didn't want to, he didn't want to say anything about it. And then as soon as he does manage, he's, is, he does, is released. And then as soon as he gets on the boat, he's enormously grateful. And you can almost uh, sense his relief when they cross this uh, imaginary boundary on the lake between the Austrian section of the lake and the, Italian section of the lake where he realizes that he's, you know, he's out of trouble uh, mm. uh, once he's, uh, you know, crossed that imaginary line on the on the steamship eventually. It, it reminded me of when the American-Iranian hostages were finally freed and their plane cleared uh, Iranian airspace. Exactly. I mean, that's exactly, I think, the kind of feeling that he, the feeling of relief that he must have, must have felt back, back then. That and and there are all, of course all kinds of parallels uh, between you know what happened in 1914 and then what's going on in our world today. I mm-hmm. mean, the um, I mean in 1914 you had uh, Woodrow Wilson as president, which was as a result of a divided Republican Party in the election of 1912 when Teddy Roosevelt ran against 
challenged Taft in two members of the same party, um, which enabled uh, Woodrow Wilson to win the election in 1912. So that, you had, of course, terrorism in the sense of the assassination of the Archduke and his his wife in Sarajevo. You had, you know, uh, financial crisis that enveloped uh, Europe yep. at the time. Uh, all of these things that that we're you know quite familiar with uh, are are kind of repeated from uh, over a hundred years ago. To... Again, the, the financial crisis, something I learned about from your book, wasn't aware that that had happened. But you can see why it would. I mean, because they're talking about a huge war. So uh, especially in Europe, there's this financial crisis, and to the point of your uh, great grandfather. He he gets some money, but he can't get money anymore. You know, I guess he, he used to be able to go That's to. That's right. I mean, yeah. he's a wealthy guy, and he's got a bank account in New York, presumably, but he can't get money to just to pay his hotel bill. And and it wasn't just my grandfather, but uh, all of these American tourists that were kind of stranded. They ended up taking refuge in Venice uh, for a while, and the American government he kind of complains about the fact that the American government didn't do very much. That the British government seemed to have done more for their people to kind of. Get them out of harm's way, the, the civilians out of out of Italy, out of Italy, and and I mean he what he'd done is simply is he'd bought a, a round trip a rail ticket on French Rail because he thought he was going to be taking a nice round trip vacation, and what happened of course is that the railroads were used by the armies. The French railroad the return ticket was was useless because uh, the, all of the railroads were basically. Uh, uh, taken by the deployment of, of soldiers to the front mm. uh, in France and really all all around Europe as well. Now, the Wells family makes their way to Rome in time for uh, the choosing of a new pope, Benedict XV. And once again, the son goes uh, to the, I don't know, the public part of that ceremony? Yeah. Yes, he does. He actually, his son actually attends the ceremony. He has to, of course, get dressed up. And, and I mean, it's the... In, I mean, induction of of a new pope. I mean, the pope, the previous pope had just died, just prior to the to the to the time that World War One started. So, right, almost coincident with the with the outbreak of the war, you had this brand new pope that was selected in Rome, and and he, you know, became a what I I mean, I said the the most kind of vocally outspoken anti-war pope in in uh, the history of the church, really. Um, I mean, he denounced the World War One as the suicide of civilization, for example, and and that the kind of the these anti-war attitudes on the part of the Pope are ones that we kind of expect today, but were uh, kind of a new thing in in 1914. Mm. And by hooker by crook, the the Wells family makes their way to Naples, and they book passage on a ship uh, called the Canopic. Uh, and the, in connection with the, the new pope, three of the cardinals who were, were involved in electing the pope are on board. That's right. You had the papal conclave going on to select the pope, and there are three, one from England, two from the United States, uh, who are on board the same ship that Wells is. And so he talks about them. And, of course, in this journey, this see where he goes from Naples ultimately back to Boston. And he's very concerned about the fact that... Uh, that uh, there could be a German cruiser on the horizon or coming out of the fog that might be attack the ship. And of course, uh, ships the ships that, that Wells, had, Wells and his family had used to 
transit across the Atlantic back and forth, these became targets in World War One, particularly to the submarines. You think about the Lusitania, and Lusitania was actually a ship that Wells himself had had been on in 1909. In 1915, Lusitania was was sunk uh, off the coast of Ireland. Uh, over 100 Americans were were killed at the time. Mm. And uh, is the Canopic uh, was that a British vessel or who, whose flag were they flying? It was. I think it was a, uh, a British uh, vessel that he that he ended up taking from Naples. It stopped briefly in Spain and then in the Azores and then made its way to, back to uh, to Boston. One uh, another compelling uh, moment, it seemed to me, was when they stop in Spain. Uh, he reports that there are all these German ships that are docked there, and they can't go anywhere because they're afraid of the British cruisers stopping them on the high seas. But the go ahead. Yes, yes, that's right. It's an interesting fact. I mean, that you had. I mean, Spain at that time was and was through World War One was neutral, remained neutral during the war, and so these German. Merchant ships had taken refuge in Spanish ports, uh, but they were being uh, basically detained there. Or they—I mean—they couldn't. They didn't feel that they could just, you know, go about their business because, of course, a war was going on, and they could be targets. They could be confiscated, be held as prisoners of war. They didn't know what they were uh, up against, so they were just kind of in limbo, waiting in this Spanish port in Almeria, um, in in Spain at the time. But the Canopic makes it to uh, Boston, and uh, you've already explained that uh, after after that, uh, Mr. Wells helps the the Serbians forms his Serbian Relief Agency, and then as the decades go on, you know, after World War One and so forth, he starts working for the Romanian government and was quite close to the uh, Romanian royal family. That's right. I mean, he had. Uh, I think. I believe as a result of his humanitarian efforts, so that he was helping the, this chairman, as chairman of Serbian Relief, he, he helped not just the Serbians, but also the Romanians and, I believe, Russians with humanitarian assistance, too. And I believe it was in the course of that that he met the, Rus- the Romanian royal family, Queen Marie of Romania. Uh, I think she became his patron, uh, and, you know, according to some family rumor, uh, perhaps even uh, they they may have been lovers, I mean, according to my grandmother in any case. I don't know whether, uh, <laughs> but she, she knew them both uh, and knew obviously knew her father and also knew, knew Queen Maria of Romania. And uh, Marie had, she had what I guess you would call an open relationship with uh, with the king of Romania, uh, and so, and she had many affairs, including with other Americans. Uh, one was uh, uh, the uh, 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 Waldorf Astor uh, was one American that she had a relationship with. So we know that she had many relationships, and it's it's alleged that, and certainly he was, she was his patron, no matter what, and patron from 1918, uh, really up to. I mean, he served as consul. Past, uh, past her, her, she died in 1938, and he didn't resign, didn't uh, quit being consul until 1941. So, long after he was involved as mm-hmm. uh, to as helping Romania uh, from in New York. And in 1941, in World War II, Romania is uh, is against the the uh, you know the American side or the, the British That's side. That's right. They, what what happened? I think this must have been a shock for him. I mean, of course, he doesn't write about it in 1914, but. But uh, but it must have been a shock that Romania ended up uh, 
which had fought as an ally in, of the Western powers and the democracies in World War One, ended up going fascist in World War Two, and allying itself with Hitler. And so, shortly after December seventh, uh, Romania, along with other some of other, I mean Bulgaria and other countries, declared war on the United States of America. Hmm. And uh, you know, obviously, his relationship was severed at that point. And I mean, but I think it must have been. Uh, I, I suspect a, a traumatic thing mm-hmm. for him to, you know, that his that his employer is suddenly uh, his enemy uh, must have been, I, I think, a, a shock for him at the time. Christopher Kelly, editor of uh, the book "The True uh, An Adventure in 2014: The True Story of an American Family's Journey on the Brink of World War One." Uh, it's now um, available on. Uh, electronically and also in in print, and you have a website, I believe. Yes, the website is an adventure in nineteen fourteen dot com, uh, and the book can also be found on Amazon on Amazon Kindle as well. Well, Christopher Kelly, always a pleasure to talk with you. Have a good day. Thanks very much, Bob. Appreciate it.